Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. God, this morning, on this Resurrection Day, this Easter Sunday, we pray that you would open the eyes of our heart, that we would know deep down inside the reality of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, that our hearts this morning would be filled with your hope, your joy, your peace, because we know a Savior who has conquered death. God, would you transform us as we hear your word and as we hear you proclaim to us that death is not the end anymore. God, that we are free in Jesus Christ. God, would we know the freedom of walking with Jesus, the, the freedom of trusting Jesus, the freedom of knowing that our lives are in the hands of one who went down to the grave and then came back up again. God, we long to truly know the power of the resurrection of Jesus, to truly walk in the freedom of Jesus. And so we ask this morning that you would meet us here, meet us here in power. Meet us here in the power of your spirit. Lead us this morning to the resurrected Christ. It's in his name that we worship and pray. Amen. You may be seated. As you're taking your seat, I want to invite you to open up to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. You've already heard uh, Matthew 28, 1 through 10 read, and we'll spend our time there today. Uh, the artist... Shai Lin has a song entitled, Jesus is Alive. Now, throughout the song, he lists many famous people and, and powerful people. But time and time again, as he goes through the song, he reminds us that every single one of these people is dead. Uh, this is how the song basically goes. Here's some of the lyrics from the song. He says, Elvis is dead. Picasso is dead. Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin are dead. Marilyn Monroe is dead. Brando is dead. James Brown is dead. Princess Diana and John Lennon are dead. Biggie and Tupac are dead. Plato is dead. Socrates is dead. Aristotle and Immanuel Kant are dead. Nietzsche and Darwin are dead. Buddha is dead. Muhammad is dead. Gandhi is dead. Nero is dead. Constantine is dead. Genghis Khan and Attila the Hun are dead. Alexander the Great is dead. Napoleon is dead. Che Guevara and Henry VIII are dead. Saddam Hussein is dead. Pharaoh is dead. Cyrus is dead. Darius and Sennacherib are dead. 
Nebuchadnezzar is dead. Caesar is dead. Herod is dead. Annas, Caiaphas, and Judas are dead. Pontius Pilate is dead. And the list could go on and on and on. Any name we could think of, any important person we can think of, no matter what they've done, no matter how important to the world they were, no matter how religious they were, every single one of them are dead. But we are here this morning because there is one who is alive. Jesus Christ went down to the grave and then he came back up again. Jesus Christ stopped breathing and then he started breathing again. And so while all these other people were important, all these other people had had valuable things that they said and that they did, every single one of them is dead. But we are here today celebrating that Jesus Christ is alive. Amen, that's right. Here's the deal, guys. Death is terrifying. Death is terrifying. Death hangs up over our heads. And for every single one of us, we know that it is this haunting thing that we have to face. Why is death so terrifying? Death is terrifying because we can't avoid it. We can't scoot to the side and and somehow miss it. We can't stop death. And we certainly can't reverse death. And that's why today we are celebrating Jesus Christ. Death has defeated Plato and Socrates. Death has defeated Alexander the Great and Napoleon. Death has defeated Muhammad and Gandhi. Death has defeated every other person who has ever lived. But Jesus Christ defeated death. And that's why this morning we worship Jesus as our champion, Jesus as our deliverer, and Jesus as our great God and King. So this morning, in celebration that Jesus is alive, we're going to look at three things that the resurrection tells us about our Savior from Matthew chapter 28, verses 1, 1 through 10. First, today, first, we have a vindicated Savior. We have a vindicated Savior. Verse 1 of Matthew 28 says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Uh, three Three years earlier from this exact moment, Jesus Christ had launched his ministry in the world. He preached, he healed, he taught, and he had gained a a large attraction from many, many people all over. Uh, But then three years from when he launched his ministry, uh, these two women come running to the tomb on Sunday morning, come to the tomb on Sunday morning, because this Jesus whom they had followed, this Jesus whom they had pledged their life to, they had watched him be publicly executed. And in verse 5, the angel tells us why uh, the women have come. Verse 5 says, But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. See, for us to understand the resurrection, we must first understand the crucifixion. For us to understand why it matters that Jesus rose from the dead, we first have to understand why it is that Jesus died in the first place. See, it's one thing to be falsely accused. Nobody likes to be falsely accused, right? Nobody likes for somebody to, to, to accuse them of something they didn't do. But it is a whole other thing to be falsely condemned. To be falsely condemned. I read a Smithsonian Magazine article this week about a man named Ricky Jackson. Ricky Jackson spent 39 years in an Ohio prison for a crime that he did not commit. Uh, Ricky Jackson holds the longest prison term for an exonerated defendant in American history. On the one hand, it is great that he got acquitted. It is great that he was exonerated. But Ricky Jackson wasn't just falsely accused. 
He was falsely condemned. When Jesus Christ was crucified, he wasn't just falsely accused. Jesus Christ was falsely condemned. And just like Ricky Jackson can't get his 39 years back, you cannot take the scars off of the body of Jesus Christ. No one had ever been more innocent than Jesus Christ. No one deserved to die less than Jesus. He was the perfect man. He had never done anything wrong, and yet he was publicly condemned as a criminal. But here's the deal. The Bible tells us that all of this took place according to God's plan. According to God's plan. So why was Jesus condemned and publicly executed in this way? Well, this is where we get our idea of a scapegoat from. You know, a scapegoat is someone who, who takes the blame for somebody else, right? The scapegoat is somebody in life who takes the fall for someone else. And that idea of a scapegoat actually comes from the Bible. Uh, there was an actual goat, and they would pronounce the sins of the people over this goat. And they would send that goat out into the wilderness to die, symbolizing that the goat was taking the fall in the place of the people. The, the goat had taken the blame and was removing it from the people. Well, what, what happened when Jesus Christ was crucified is that he became a willing scapegoat. Jesus took the blame on himself that you and I deserved. God treated Jesus in the way that you and I deserved to be treated. And so here's what this tells us this morning. For every single one of us in here, there is no more clear picture of the reality and the tragedy of our sin than Jesus Christ crucified. Every charge that fell upon Jesus was a charge that we deserved. Every strike, every stroke, every slap, every spit, every mock, and eventually his final breath, that is what we deserved. The blame that led to his conviction and condemnation was a blame that you and I deserved. God was treating Jesus the way you and I deserved to be treated. And so the angel says, I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. And I'm sure for these two women, from the, from the moment that they saw Jesus crucified and take his last breath to that Sunday morning when they went to the tomb, it must have felt like an eternity. So much sorrow. Everyone somber. Everyone confused. Everyone discouraged beyond belief. But then, as it says in verse 1, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Jesus was resurrected. This innocent man who had been condemned, guilty to death for our sins, was raised up from the grave and vindicated in glory. God declared that Jesus was actually innocent and that whatever sin he was dying for, it wasn't his own but instead it was ours. And the vindication of Jesus is a two-sided coin. On the one side, the resurrection of Jesus that vindicates him was the pronouncement that he was righteous, that he was innocent, 
that Jesus was exonerated by heaven itself. But on the other side of the coin, what that means for us is that in the, in the resurrection and vindication of Jesus, it declares that there is no more sacrifices needed for the payment of sin forever. That for the rest of eternity, Jesus Christ died and risen is the only payment that God would accept for anyone who would ever go to heaven. The resurrection and vindication of Jesus declares that we are free. Uh, I doubt many places do this uh, this way anymore, but there's some you know stores and restaurants when uh, you know you get done, you go to check out or, or whatever. You you could just say to the to the person there, "Hey, just charge it to my account," uh, and then you just walk out the door. Well, let's just say me and Joe are having lunch, and me and Joe walk up to the counter, and Joe says, "Hey, I, I've got his today. Charge it to my account." And then a few weeks later, Joe comes in and, and he pays up. Joe, Joe covers his account. At that moment, my debt has been paid. I can't be charged anymore because someone else has paid in my place. Yes, the cross is a powerful word to us that it is finished. But it is Christ risen from the dead that says, if Jesus went down into the penalty of our sin and then he came up out of the penalty of our sin, there's no more penalty. If Jesus went down into the prison of our death and then he came up out of the prison of, of our death, it means that we are free. Maybe we're tempted to look at the cross and think, well, sure, Jesus paid you know, 99% of what I owe, but, but I still have to pay 1%, right? Maybe we're tempted to think, yeah, Jesus suffered a lot and all that, but I still have to take some responsibility for my sin, right? You know, Jesus paid most of it, but now I have to spend the rest of my life paying him back, right? No, the resurrection declares that when Jesus was vindicated, when Jesus was brought back up from the grave, it declared to us that his sacrifice was accepted in heaven. His sacrifice paid it in full. His sacrifice covered anyone who would place their trust in Jesus completely. In Romans 8, chapter, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 34, the Apostle Paul connects this problem that you and I have to the resurrection, this problem that you and I have that we're just not quite sure if God could accept us, that we're just not quite sure that what Jesus has done is enough. The Apostle Paul connects that to the resurrection. Look at, look at what he says in Romans 8, verse 34. He asks a question first, who is to condemn? In other words, Paul's asking, could someone who places their faith in Jesus then somehow do something or something somehow change that, that God would then end up condemning them even though they had placed their trust in Jesus? Is that possible? Could it be possible that someone who placed their trust in Jesus, that God could somehow come around and still make them somehow pay for their sins? That's what Paul's asking. Who is to condemn, he says. And then he responds to his own question. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? You say, when you and I are in our guilt, what do we need from God? We need a declaration that we are set free. And Paul's saying, yeah, to look at the cross of Jesus, that's powerful. To see Jesus dying for our sins, that's powerful. But, he, but Paul actually says, there's something more than that. What? 
What could be more than the cross? What could speak more clearly to me that my debt has been paid, that I'm free from my sins, that I'm no longer guilty in the court of heaven? What could speak more powerfully to me than the cross of Jesus? Paul says one thing, the fact that Jesus who died on the cross has risen from the dead. It is heaven's declaration that the payment was accepted in full. We have proof that there are no more sacrifices needed for sins. And that is why, in this passage, God sent the angel down from heaven. Look at verses 2 through 4. Verses 2 through 4, it says, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. This angel coming down was heaven's public declaration that Jesus Christ was vindicated, that Jesus Christ was innocent. And so when this angel came down and declared that Jesus Christ was vindicated, that he was an innocent man, he was simultaneously declaring to us that we are free. When uh, Ali and I moved back here in uh, 2019, we moved at the very beginning of the year. And so we had lived for about two weeks in North Carolina before moving uh, here in, uh, in, in that same year to Myrtle Beach. And uh, around the middle of 2021, we got a letter in the mail from the IRS saying that we owed a lot of money. Now, I don't know about you, but I felt like we were good. I felt like we were all right. But I was not going to rest until I got word from them that we had been set free. And so months went by, and this thing is just looming over my head, right? I know I paid our taxes. I know we were good to go, but I needed to see proof. I needed to see it from from them. And so that day when another letter came in the mail from the IRS, you better believe I didn't even get back into the house. I'm right there at the mailbox. I'm opening that thing. Again, I knew I paid. I knew I had sent in the proof. But when I opened up that letter and it said, you do not owe us this money, my heart soared with joy. It was a relief. I could finally breathe a sigh of relief. What this passage is saying to us this morning is we do not have to wonder if we have been set free from our sins. We do not have to wonder if the death of Jesus is enough to cover what we owe. We do not have to wonder if there's still a little bit of blame for what we've done that could still land on us. No, we don't have to wonder because an angel has come down from heaven, rolled back the stone, took a seat on it, and declared to us that we are set free. For anyone who would place their faith in Jesus, they now have a bill that says paid in full. Guys, who wouldn't want that? So we come to a crossroads this morning. You know, if we're all honest with ourselves, we know we're guilty. We know we've sinned against heaven. And we know that this whole game of trying to do one good thing for every bad thing, we can't keep up. But here this morning, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, God is actually showing us what Christianity really is. You may have come here this morning thinking that Christianity is a set of rules to follow. You may have come here thinking that Christianity is just a group of people who like to do nice things for for the world. 
I don't know what you came here thinking Christianity was this morning. The resurrection of Jesus teaches us that Christianity is an announcement of good news. That God does for us in Jesus Christ what we could not do for ourselves. That Christianity is not about what we do for God. Christianity is about what God does for helpless sinners like us. The empty tomb, the empty tomb teaches us that Christianity is about grace. That when Jesus Christ was vindicated, proven innocent, it meant, guys, that we are free. Second today, second, the resurrection tells us that we have a validated Savior. Tells us that we have a validated Savior. Verses 5 and 6 say this. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. See, multiple times, Jesus had predicted that he was going to rise from the dead. But his disciples just did not have the categories to understand what he was talking about. And so when these two women come to the tomb, the angel has to remind them, Jesus told you that he was going to rise from the dead. Uh, There's this legend. uh, There's a legend about uh, the baseball player Babe Ruth. There's this blurry picture where Babe Ruth's kind of, it seems like he's kind of pointing out into the outfield like this. And the legend goes that on the very next pitch, Babe Ruth hit a home run. And so this is the legend of Babe Ruth calling his own shot. Now, the problem, the problem with this is that baseball is a really hard game. The, the, the statistical probability of someone going up, to, up, up to, to the plate and pointing and calling their own shot and then hitting a home run on the next pitch is essentially impossible. It's just not, not realistic. And so there's so many people who think, oh, no, Babe Ruth wasn't calling a shot. He was just waving to the fans or he was just pointing at the pitcher. You know, there's so many ideas about what, what was really going on. See, to call your own shot in a sports, sporting event is, is a big deal. It's a really hard thing to do. But guys, Jesus called his own shot in defeating death. Jesus said, I'm going to rise from the dead, and then he did it. The death and resurrection of Jesus have a sort of retroactive effect. And here's what I mean. If Jesus dies, and he goes down into the ground, and he just rots like every other human being who who had ever lived then everything else Jesus had said up to that point is called into question. Everything Jesus says is now a lie. Uh, We see this play out um, in some of the different cults that we've seen pop up in in America. Recently, I watched this documentary about uh, the events at Waco, Texas with David Koresh. Uh, right? This guy, David Koresh, I mean, he, he made these wild and bold claims. There were some very specific and clear things that he said were going to happen. And so here's the deal. If all the things that David Koresh had said were going to happen had happened, then the joke would be on us. But when David Koresh dies and none of the things that he said were going to happen happen, then we know he is a liar. And so if Jesus just goes into the ground and he rots and, and he just is just like every other person who's ever lived, then all those other things that he said, they're lies. All the other things Jesus told us, they're not true. But, but, if Jesus says, I'm going to rise from the dead, and then he does it, then that validates everything else that Jesus has said. All the other claims that he's made, all the gripping things that Jesus has told us about himself, that Jesus told us about the Bible, that Jesus has told us about the world, that Jesus told us about God, everything else that Jesus has said 
when he rises from the dead, is proven to be true. And I think that's exactly why these women respond the way they do when they see Jesus. Uh, Look at verses 8 and 9. It says, So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Guys, let's be honest. If Jesus had not risen from the dead, we wouldn't be worshiping him today. If Jesus had not risen from the dead, then we would be foolish to place our lives in his hand. If Jesus had not risen from the dead, then to fall and worship him would be silly. Right? It would be like worshiping Plato or worshiping Aristotle or worshiping any of these other people who have gone down into the grave and died. But if Jesus rose from the dead then it means he really was who he claimed to be. In Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul puts it this way. He says that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Y'all, Jesus made gripping claims. There is no way around it. Jesus said things that corner us into a very particular way of life. Jesus actually said that the whole Bible was about him. Jesus actually told us that the only way we could know God is if we know him. Jesus actually says in John 17 that the very essence of eternal life is to know Jesus, is to know him. Jesus at many times and in various different ways claimed to be God. And it is in his resurrection that all of his claims are validated. And so once again, this morning, we're at a crossroads. We're at a crossroads. If Jesus Christ predicted that he was going to rise from the dead, and then he did it, there's only one sane thing to do. And that is to fall down on our feet and worship him. That is to join these women and to proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords, King of Kings, that he is very God of very God. If Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, then it means everything else he said is true. And that means, guys, we can't just go on living the normal status quo. We can't go on living like this isn't the most extraordinary thing we've ever heard in our lives. We can't go on living like Life is just this mundane thing that just happens and then we're gone. If Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, it literally changes everything. And that's why finally today, finally this morning, so we've seen Jesus as a vindicated Savior. We've seen that Jesus is a validated Savior. Finally today, we see that we have a victorious Savior. We have a victorious Savior. Verse 10 says, Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers uh, to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Guys, fear is the feeling we have when we believe that there is some outcome in the future that we don't want. Fear is that thing that grips us, that takes hold of us, that paralyzes us when we think that in the future 
something bad might come our way. And we all know that fear is powerful. We all know that fear has the ability to control our lives. Fear has the ability to paralyze us. Uh, Back in verse 5, when the angel first started talking to these women, he had said to them, Do not be afraid. But then in verse 8, when the women take off from the angel to go find the disciples, in verse 8 it says, They departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. So as you might expect, these women are sort of a mix of emotions. On the one hand, they're filled with joy because they've just heard from this angel that Jesus is raised from the dead, just as he said. But at the same time, they're, they're still afraid. They're a mix of emotions, which is what we might expect. Here's what's so interesting about this passage. Uh, when Jesus appears to these women, he actually doesn't say anything different than what the angel had already said. It's almost like you could copy and paste the angel's words into Jesus' mouth. Just like the angel had said, go find the disciples, Jesus says, go and find the disciples. Just like the angel had said, go ahead to Galilee and there I'll see you there. Jesus said, go ahead to Galilee and there I'll see you there. And just like the angel had said, do not be afraid, Jesus says, do not be afraid. So why did Jesus show up? If the angel had given them good instructions that they needed to go and find the disciples, what was the point of Jesus intercepting them? Uh, did, Did Jesus need to change the plan? Did Jesus have a new set of instructions for them? No. The only reason that Jesus showed up is to relieve them of their fear. Guys, the heart of Jesus is full of tender kindness. Jesus doesn't want you and I to be paralyzed with fear. He doesn't want us to be gripped as we live our life with fear, not even the fear of death. And so out of love for these women, he shows up. He doesn't say anything different. But here's the deal. When the angel said, do not be afraid, that was powerful. But when the resurrected Jesus met them face to face and said, do not be afraid, that changed everything. Uh, There's this local trampoline park uh, where they have this beam that runs across sort of a a big pit, a big 8-foot, 10-foot pit kind of thing. And then the whole pit's sort of filled filled with foam. And the first time we took our son there, uh, we just thought, man, he's going to love this. But actually, he was really scared. You know, he was really afraid. And so, you know, as you do with a toddler, you try to reason with them, and and that doesn't uh, get you very far. So I thought to myself, okay, how can I convince him that this is fun? And so I thought to myself, well, I'm just going to walk out on the beam, and I'm just going to fall over and plunge into the pit. And then once he sees that daddy's going to be okay, then, then he'll know that it's okay. So I walk out, I plunge into the pit. And once he sees me fall into the thing, then he starts doing cannonballs in the thing, and we can't get him off, you know, get him off of the thing. Because you know, he realizes that if, if daddy can fall in the pit and be safe, then I can fall in the pit and be safe. When the resurrected Jesus looks at us and says, do not be afraid, 
He says that from a place of experience. This is the risen Jesus Christ looking us in the face and saying, guys, I went down into death, but look at me now. What do you have to be afraid of? This is the risen Jesus looking at us and saying, you don't have to be afraid of anything. Even death itself is not the end for you anymore. I have conquered your greatest fear. And in conquering your greatest fear, that unravels all of your other fears. And so there's two things, two things in light of the resurrection Two things that we need to see in light of the resurrection of why you and I should not fear. Two things. The first is this. That we have a victorious, resurrected Savior who holds our future. We have a victorious, resurrected Savior who holds our future. And the second one is this. We have a victorious and resurrected Savior who is the picture of our future. Let's take it one at a time. First, we have a victorious, resurrected Savior who holds our future. Guys, this morning, the person who we've put our trust in, the person who we have put our faith in, is none other than the guy who went down to the grave and came back up again. The one who holds us in his hands, the one who knows every hair on our head, the one who has every day planned out of our life before we even live one day is the one who conquered death. And he shows up and he wants to look us right in the eye and say, do not be afraid. I'm the resurrected one and I've got you. I've got you. Amen. So the second thing, the second thing, why we should not fear? Because the resurrected, victorious Savior is a picture of our future. When we look at Jesus, risen from the dead, we're actually seeing our own future. That this bodily existence that you and I find ourselves in is not the only bodily existence that we will experience. That for anyone who's put their faith in Jesus, just as Christ was risen from the dead, so we will rise from the dead with him. That just as he rose from the dead, both bodily but exalted, that that's the same future that he has won for us. That you and I will rise in these same bodies, but they will be exalted. Because we will never sin again. We will never get tired again. We will never suffer again. And we will never die again. That is what Jesus has done for us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, if we have hoped in Christ... In this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. What's Paul saying? He's saying knowing Jesus for this life is good. Trusting in Jesus to help us get through the problems of this life, that's helpful. But there is something so far greater in the good news of Christianity that if we stop with thinking that what Jesus does for us is only in this life, 
then we've totally missed it. If we stop with thinking that the purpose of Jesus is just sort of help me navigate the next 50, 60, 70 years, then it is the good news of Jesus Christ has totally passed over our heads. Paul is saying, no, 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 no. The goal of life is not to take 50, 60, 70 years and just to wring out as much as we possibly can of life because there's no hope for anything in the future. No. When we look at Jesus Christ, we see a concrete picture of our future. And that is a resurrected, bodily, escalated, glorified, exalted future where we never sin again, where we never suffer again, and where we we worship in the joy of God forever and ever and ever. Our hope in Christ is not for this life only. Our hope in Christ is for eternity. And this is a concrete hope, and concrete hope has a real significant impact on our life right now. I want to illustrate this for you. Hope in Christ, hope in our future, seeing the picture of our resurrected Savior has immediate impact on our life right now. There's two guys, and they've both been contracted for one year's worth of work. Two guys, they've both been contracted for one year's worth of work. It's the same job, the same challenges, the same labor, the same annoying people that they have to work with. The same everything. It's all the same. Two guys, same job, contracted for one year's worth of work. The two guys go and perform the work, and they have radically different attitudes for one reason. One guy was promised $15,000 for his one year of work. Same guy was promised $1 million for his contracted year of work. Same work. Same challenges, same difficult people. But because of what was promised at the end, it changes everything. And that is the power of resurrection hope. Yes, resurrection hope is something that has been promised to us in the future. But because this future is so bright, because this future is so unimaginable, because this future explodes anything that we can experience here right now in in this moment, It has a direct impact on everything that happens to us right now. It changes everything about life. Now, a guy who's getting paid a million dollars, he may still have a day or two where things are frustrating. He may still have some people that he has to work with that that get on his nerves. But he's able to step back. And he's able to remind himself, this will be worth it. And anyone who's placed their faith in Jesus Christ, it's the same way. Certainly there will be challenges, certainly there will be frustrations, certainly there will be anxieties, fears, and worries that creep in on us, but just like that guy, we're able to step back and we remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. We remember that there is a Savior who conquered the grave. We remember that the guy looking us in the eyes and saying, do not be afraid, is the same guy who went down to the grave and then came back up again. So what does the resurrection tell us about our Savior? Let's recap. First, we saw that Jesus was vindicated. Yes, he was falsely condemned. From a human perspective, he was falsely condemned. From heaven's perspective, his death was what you and I deserved. His death was taking our blame upon himself. And so when Jesus was vindicated, when he rose from the dead, when the angel came down and sat on the stone, 
It was a declaration to us that we are free. It was a declaration to us that anyone who would place their faith in Jesus has a bill that says paid in full. And then we saw that Jesus is a validated Savior, that he made gripping claims about himself, about the Bible, about this world, about God. And if Jesus had died and stayed in the tomb, everything else he said would be invalid. But if Jesus died and got up from the grave, then everything else he said is true. And then we saw that we have a victorious Savior that he longs for his people to live without fear. He longs for the fear of death and all the other fears in our life to be washed away as he, the resurrected one, the one who already went down into into death and came back, proclaims to us, do not fear. And so we're at a crossroads. What will we do? Keep on trusting ourselves. Keep on trying to go at life our way. Keep on thinking that we can somehow pay God back for our sins. Keep on thinking that we're not really sure what happens after death, but we'll just give it the old college try. Or this morning we see the empty tomb. We hear the invitation from Jesus to anchor our lives into someone who is immovable. Someone who has already passed through our greatest fear and conquered it. This morning, we are invited into something that is immovable, unchangeable, that redounds to eternal glory. And like these women, the only appropriate response is to fall down at the feet of Jesus and worship him. Let's pray. God, what can we say this morning but thank you? Thank you not only for accomplishing our salvation, not only for accomplishing accomplishing our redemption, but loving us so much that you want us to walk in assurance. You want us to have the freedom of the children of God. You want us to be able to look at the empty tomb and know that we don't have to pay pay for our sins anymore. We're not guilty anymore that we have free access to you by faith in your son, Jesus. And Lord, we are so thankful today that when we see the empty tomb and when we see our resurrected Savior, we actually see our future. God, would you implant the hope of the resurrection deep in our heart? Would your spirit work right now to remove all fear, to remove all anxiety, to remove all worry as we rest securely in the arms of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ? It is him that we worship. It is him that we praise. It is him that we look forward forever and ever and ever to sing of his praises, to sing of his goodness, to declare that he is the lamb who was slain and is risen and is worthy of our praise. God, we exalt your son, Jesus Christ, this morning. It's in his name that we worship and pray. Amen.